welcome to another episode of Southern Fried Spooky, the podcast home of all things Southern, spooky, and this week bisected by an axe. Yeah, yeah. Another one of those. Yeah. I'm your Carolina girl, Heather. And I'm your Florida man, Tony. And we'd like to encourage you to visit our Facebook page and leave some comments, lest we come at you with an axe. That's not very inviting, yeah, is it? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> You can find our Patreon and leave us some gifts or some five-star reviews on your podcast platform of choice. So, this week, for decades, the Frankie Silver murder case has remained a mystery and popular folklore in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty close to home for me. You've lived in a lot of places. Yes, but Morganton is is one of the big ones. Okay. Yeah. Francis Um, Frankie Silver was executed in Morganton, mm -hmm. North Carolina. Went to Freedom High School in Morganton, North Carolina. Nice. Yeah. But, yeah. So you heard about this? Oh, yeah. Cool. That's why when you gave me the script, I was like, wait, why does this sound familiar? Oh. Well, feel free to (laughs) chime in, as you do. She was executed for the gruesome murder of her husband, Charlie Silver, on July 12th, 1833. That would be the execution, not the murder. Although she never admitted to the crime, Silver was found guilty of axing her husband into pieces and burning them to hide the evidence. Yeah, of course. Today, one can walk up the gently slipping hill to the center of the Kona Baptist Church graveyard and find a granite marker. Charles Silver, October 3rd, 1812 to December 22nd, 1831, it reads. Mm. But the marker isn't exactly a gravestone. There are three natural stones that could have been plucked from Silo Knob hovering in the distance that have that distinction. Because Charlie Silver wasn't buried in one place. Or not all at once. That too. Charlie was the only child of Jacob and Elizabeth Wilson Silver. Charlie's mother died giving birth to him in that classic fashion of women back in the day. Oh, yeah. Sometimes still, even. His father, Jacob, would remarry, and Charlie would have many half-brothers and sisters. Charlie's half-brother, Alfred, gave the most quoted description of him. He was strong and healthy, good-looking and agreeable. He had lots of friends. Everybody liked him. Except for Francie. Apparently, except for his wife. (laughs) Indeed. He was a favorite at all the parties, for he could make merry by talking, laughing, and playing musical instruments. I think he was the best fifer I ever heard. (laughs) What an odd compliment to give. You know, him and Michelle. (laughs) Uh, Also, if Charlie took after his father Jacob, he was very strong, six feet tall, dark hair with black eyes and a fair complexion. And he was a year older than Frankie. Frances Stewart was the daughter of Isaiah and Barbara. Somehow I didn't think that was a name that would be around back then. We're coming to get you, Barbara. I think of it as like an 80s name, but I guess it is more 60s. The family moved to Burke County in North Carolina when Frankie was young, around 1820. Yep. They lived in the town of Kona near the home of Jacob Silver. Alfred Silver described Frankie as, he's apparently the one to get descriptions, a mighty likely little woman. She had fair skin, bright eyes, and was counted very pretty. She had charms. I never saw a smarter little woman. She could card and spin three yards of cotton a day on a big wheel. (laughs) Wow. He's oddly descriptive. Yeah, this guy actually had sort of a penchant for speaking, I guess. 
or he was the one around when people wanted to get quotes. Yeah. At first glance, Charlie and Frankie were meant for each other, the perfect couple, when they settled down in their own little cabin in 1830. On November 3rd, 1830, their first daughter, Nancy, was born. I think she was the only? Mm. They lived in a wooden cabin on land gifted by Jacob Silver. But there's a dark side to the mountain lifestyle of the 1830s. <laughs> Your dowry, a house. <laughs> well, sure, why not? It wasn't unusual, and I, I would have to say this is probably not just the mountain lifestyle. It's yeah. 1830. Yeah. It was not unusual for a man to murder his wife and receive no punishment. Yeah. And 19-year-old Charlie was perhaps an unfortunate product of an unfortunate environment. He may have manifested some of the attitudes of the day. And this ingrained attitude may have had a significant role in the events of December 22nd, 1831. Yep. The petite blonde wife and mother, who was Frankie, was about 16 years old when in 1831 her spouse, 19-year-old Charlie Silver, disappeared from the one-room cabin he and Frankie had shared since their wedding two years earlier. She got married at 14? I, I think my math's off here. <laughs> According to reports from witnesses... Well, it is 1831. Fair enough. She ran to her in-law's house to report the disappearance, claiming that Charlie had left for a hunting trip but never returned. A search party was launched, but the search found nothing. Jack Cullis, a local hunter, he discovered human remains inside the fireplace at the Silvers Mountain Cabin, several miles from Kona in Mitchell County. He had decided to search while Frankie was conveniently out. In addition, more remains were found throughout the property, including beneath the cabin's floor. Jack Cullis sent for the sheriff. Oh, yeah. The investigation into the whereabouts of Charles Silver found the fireplace full of oily ashes, a pool of blood that had flowed through the cabin's floor, and blood spatter on the inside walls of the cabin. Can you imagine that? You kind of walk in and you're like, oh, well, it's kind of messy in the, in the fireplace. Wait, wait. That may be their food or something. No, that's a finger. Call the sheriff. Mm -hmm. Pieces of bone and flesh were discovered in ashes poured into a mortar hole near the spring, as well as a heel iron similar to those worn by Charles on his hunting moccasins. The dismemberment and burning of Charlie Silver had evidently begun the night of his disappearance. Yeah. It was a hasty decision and one doomed to failure. It's really hard to burn a person. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean... It, it and even when it comes to cremation, it takes a long time. And they use super high yeah, temperatures. Yeah, we're talking like three thousand degrees, which is probably more than the average cabin fireplace can do. Yeah, you can't get that high without like bellows, uh, bellows, and a lot of wood, some kind of fuel other than the person. Yeah, obviously they had not calculated just how difficult it would be to burn a body in a fireplace. Yeah. I mean, even funeral pyres are very big. Yeah. Especially a... This is going to sound gross. A freshly dead person is yeah. very moist. Oh, yeah. I mean, 72% of us is water. What does fire not like? Wet things. <laughs> it was determined that on December 22nd, 1831, Charles Silver was hacked to death with an axe. Later dismembered in the cabin, he shared with his wife Frankie and their 13-month-old daughter Nancy. This says, a.k.a. Johnny Silver. Yeah. Okay, so this is one person you don't want to play cards with. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> now, 
Authorities immediately suspected Frankie of Charlie's murder and arrested her, her mother, Barbara, and her brother, Blackstone. Wow. Oh, okay. I thought you said stone. It's Blackstone. Depends on where you see it written. I've seen it both ways now. Whom authorities alleged had helped Frankie dispose of the body. Despite reports that Frankie had confessed, claiming that she had hit Charlie with an axe after he came home drunk and threatened the lives of both herself and their daughter, many sources state that to her dying day, which wasn't that much longer, she never admitted to the crime. Frankie's father, Isaiah, was able to secure Barbara and Blackston's release from jail, but not his daughter's. Oof. Now, the motive for murder is not clear. Back then... Probably spousal abuse. Could be. Yeah. During a March 1832 trial, prosecutors portrayed Frankie as a jealous wife who killed Charlie out of rage over alleged indiscretions. Later theories asserted she was an abused wife. There's no definitive evidence for either theory. Yeah. Despite claims made by journalists at the time, Frankie never confessed, nor did she discuss her motives. There's one theory that Frankie wanted to move west with her parents to join other family members, but that Charlie refused to do so. There was also speculation that her frustration with Charlie's refusal was the motive for murder. Eh, it sounds a little weak, but I don't know. Yeah, because you could have killed me when, when we moved here. Oh, right? <laughs> Why would I do that? I needed help carrying stuff. Yeah, indeed. I just want you to know that you're valued. Oh, in some way, anyway. Absolutely. Frankie's trial began on March 29, 1832. Evidence that was produced would today be considered circumstantial. Now, granted, where I got this did not say how or what ev- evidence was actually considered. It's, but a, it's 1832. I saw her do it. You sure? Yep. Okay, she's guilty. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> As Obviously, forensics are definitely not a huge thing. Certainly not where it is today. So, yeah, yeah that's about all they had to go yeah. on. We found... Stuff in the fireplace. That's about it. There are several things about Frankie's trial that raise questions. Under the law of the day, defendants were not allowed to take the stand in their own defense. But why didn't Frankie plead self-defense? The answer seems to be that her attorney and her father, Isaiah, decided to plead her not guilty and make the state prove her guilt. This is generally believed to have been a bad choice (laughs) and perhaps a fatal error. In the beginning... The universe was created. This made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. The conduct of the, need we note, all-male jury was also puzzling. On March 29th, they retired to determine Frankie's fate. The next day, they reported that they were deadlocked, 9-3 to for acquittal and asked to rehear certain witnesses. But before the witnesses were recalled, they were allowed to mingle and discuss the case. That is definitely not something allowed today. After rehearing the witnesses, the jury judged Frankie guilty in a unanimous vote. And it's apparent that a lot of testimony was changed in the interim. Frankie's execution was set for July 1832. Her lawyer gave notice of appeal. Judge Donnell filed the appeal on May 3rd, 1832. In June... The North Carolina Supreme Court rejected the appeal. Frankie's execution was set for the fall term of Burke Superior Court, but she was given a reprieve of sorts when Judge David L. Swain was severely injured in a fall from his sulky, and the fall term was canceled. I don't know what a sulky is. Neither do I. 
Then, in a touch of irony, Judge Swain was elected governor. He was from the mountains, and now he had the power to pardon Frankie. And while sentiment for pardon was growing, as documented by Perry Dean Young in his book, The Untold Story of Frankie Silver, even seven members of Frankie's jury signed a petition asking Governor Swain to issue a pardon. And the governor was apparently unmoved. Isaiah Stewart, her father, got tired of waiting. On May 18, 1833, he, his brother, and one other man broke Frankie out of jail. And it's thought that they may have had help from the inside. Possible, since at least one letter to Governor Swain stated that fully 90% of the community now wanted Frankie spared. Frankie was arrested again seven days later in Henderson County, walking behind her father's wagon headed for Tennessee. When taken, she was dressed in men's clothes and her hair was short. Her father and uncle were jailed as accessories to her escape. According to legend, her true identity was revealed after Frankie's uncle, upon hearing Frankie tell the sheriff that her name was Tommy, insisted to the, of to the officer, yes, her name is Tommy. Wow. <laughs> yes, back then, people's pronouns weren't so difficult. <laughs> wow. She's totally a boy, sir. <laughs> <laughs> wow that uncle not the brightest <laughs> his heart was in the right place his brain however was missing maybe he just choked when being asked by authority I don't know it's theorized that Swain the judge had two reasons for not granting a pardon as a judge he'd had a reputation for leniency as a governor he wanted to craft a new image Wayne Silver believes that Swain, being from the Asheville area, knew that the Silver Clan, while not possessing great wealth, owned a lot of land and were not without influence. If Swain thought the Silver family wanted Frankie to hang, she would. In the letter dated July 9th, 1833, Swain appears to try to remove himself from the responsibility for Frankie's execution. Oh, no, 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 no. You <laughs> cannot be like, you're going to die, and then recuse yourself. You can't really do that. He told W.C. Bevins that his letter appealing for a pardon didn't arrive in time. The Bevins letter is clearly dated, and Swain had had it in plenty of time. Frankie was hanged at Morganton, North Carolina, on Friday 12th, July, 1833. Silver was only 18 years old at the time of her death. Frankie's father had intended to bring his daughter's body home and bury her in the family burial plot. However... North Carolinians can identify with this. Extreme heat and humidity that year forced him to bury her in an unmarked grave behind the Buck Buckhorn Tavern Ew. a few miles west of Morganton. So it didn't even get very far. Yeah. And for many years, the exact location of the grave was uh, not certain, but it's now believed to be in a remote corner of the present-day DeVault Farm. And that's DeVault. DeVault. Yes. Sorry, it's that French major in me. Yeah. In 1952, a granite stone marking the probable location of the grave was placed by Beatrice Cobb. We think Frankie Silver is uh, here-ish. Who was the editor of the Morganton newspaper. Frankie could either be interpreted as a family's ties murderer for the possibility that she manipulated her family members to help her kill her husband, or a battered woman murderer for the possibility that she killed him in self-defense during one of the beatings he might give her. Whatever happened that night inside the family cabin remains a mystery. 
It's probable that she was a victim of abuse from her husband since a petition was signed by townswomen and several members of the all-male jury in Frankie's favor. However, said petition did not sway the governor. Another reason this will always remain a mystery is because, as Frankie was asked about her last words, legend has it her father yelled out from the crowd, Die with it in you, Frankie! This made some believe, along with them helping her escape, that family members were involved in the killing of Charles Silver. Well. Wayne Silver, who I did mention earlier, is a Silver family historian. He's the person that everyone turns to when seeking information about Charlie and Frankie Silver. He quickly dispels what he sees as the myth that Frankie, in a jealous rage over Charles' infidelity, attacked him with an axe while he was sleeping. Nor does he believe that Charlie's last words, as reported in earlier publications, God bless the child, were ever uttered. Wayne points out that no one exactly knows what happened that night because the only people there were Charlie, Frankie, and their baby. I'm fairly sure little Nancy will not remember much. Probably not. This is one big long quote. Mm. The story goes that Charlie had been sent to get the Christmas liquor, final tradition. On the way home, he does what any 19-year-old might do. He takes a nip. It's good. He takes another. That's even better. He arrives home to a complaining wife and a screaming baby. Suddenly, Charlie is in a foul mood. Things turn ugly. He picks up his gun and shouts, So help me, Frankie. If you don't shut up, I'm going to shoot the both of you. He probably didn't mean it. But by this time, Frankie has picked up the axe. No, she screams. I won't let you hurt me or the baby. She swings the axe and Charlie is dead. I will never believe it was premeditated murder and a few in my family have never believed it. In fact, it was more of an accident than anything else. Or at least manslaughter. Yeah. Uh, Well, North Carolina, I don't believe in the 1830s it was. I believe North Carolina is a standard ground. I would think these are all kind of new. I mean, I guess it would be expected back in the day, but I don't know. It was probably Frankie's behavior after the killing, as much as the killing itself, that sent her to the gallows. Clearly, she was frightened. She was a woman in a male-dominated society. And she just killed her husband. Oops. Justifiable homicide did not enter into her thinking. Again, I'm not sure if that was a phrase that would be used back then. So there was only one thing to do. She had to make it appear as if Charlie had never come home. Other inaccuracies about Frankie's case abound. Frankie Silver is probably popularly known as the only woman hanged in Burke County, or the first, but that belief isn't correct. At least two other women were hanged before she was. There's this place outside the um, outside the courthouse they call the Witch's Tree, hmm. and apparently that's where like one or two people were hanged. Maybe these are the two ladies. Yeah. Nor did she sing at the gallows, apparently that's something, the song that would become known as The Ballad of Frankie Silver. Finally, contrary to popular belief, the song Frankie and Johnny about a couple torn apart by murder isn't about the Silvers. It Instead, it was inspired in part by a murder sometime in the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think she had to be all that manipulative. I mean, these are mountain people. They are very clannish. Yeah. With a C, mind you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, probably if she accidentally killed her husband, she talked to her family and is like, guys, I need your help. And instead yeah, of, they probably helped take care of it. Instead of clan-ish, I think we should use tribe-oriented or family-oriented. That would work, too. I <laughs> because mean, clan-ish does sound a little wrong. Clan with a C. Yes. <laughs> well, I was thinking of sort of, you know, family clans, you know, when you yeah. get like the Hatfields and the, the McCoys. You clan know, with a C. These groups. <laughs> 
But yeah, I mean, everyone, you know, if it was family, you did just about anything to protect each other. Oh, yeah. So, what do you think happened? Do you have any theories uh, yeah. based on what you know? Uh, from what I understand, what I've heard, it's it was what I had heard was it was all about he had beaten her and she killed him, which you know I'm kind of partial to. So mm. that's just me. So yeah, what we classify as abuse nowadays was pretty standard it was, for a it was long very time. Standardized just, practice, but yeah. especially with these um, <clears throat> saying it politely, backwoods people. Indeed, with the people not of town. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were, I don't know. There was a point um, where, you know, that idea started to shift. I remember in the Lexington Murders and Mysteries tour, the one drunken man who would come home every night and beat his wife until the neighbors had had enough. And yeah. he kind of disappeared. disappeared. Yes. And there was a freshly plowed field the next morning. You, you know it's you know it's kind of bad when even your neighbors has had enough of it. They're like, yeah. okay, this is done. Because generally that was considered like you know what happens you, in you, your house is your own yep, business. You don't you know whatever happens it's in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. So it's just yeah. But yeah, that was not the case here. We nope. no one will ever know. But it is kind of a shame. Mm-hmm. Now there is some history on the daughter. She grew up. She got married. She had successful children. So Woo-hoo. I don't know who raised her. I assume. You know, one set of grandparents or another, but whether it was the Stuarts or the Silver Silvers, I don't know. Yeah, well, more stories for later. Yeah, indeed. Well, ladies, gentlemen, and spooky creatures, this was a little bit of a short one. Yeah, but we're gearing up for all of our October Halloween fair that we have coming up. We have some um, good episodes coming up for October. Well, not that. Not to mention that we do have a lot of Ren fair stuff we're doing. Yes. You know, as so. of now, we it's early October. We are participating in the Carolina Renaissance Festival. Mm-hmm. It's opened on September 30th, and it goes right up to the weekend before Thanksgiving. Yep. So we are 17th. busy on the weekend. 17th, I believe. It is. So if you are semi-local, come out and see us. We're on the Royal Court. If you're not local, you can look up the website pictures, and it's all over Facebook. Yep. Anyway, that is all we have for this week. Indeed. You've hacked off another slice of your life to hear our tales. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed hearing about another gruesome axe murder. We really yeah. are partial to axes, aren't we? Yes, we are. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on our Facebook page. Yeah, Leave feel us... feel free to ask us a question. Oh, my God. Comments or likes. Five-star reviews. And as I said, we'll be back next week with the start of our spookier-than-usual Halloween-specific content for October of 2023. Indeed. We hope you'll join us for our tricks and treats. And in the meantime, I'm your Carolina girl, Heather. And I'm your Florida man, Tony. And we are Southern Southern Fried Fried Spooky. Spooky. Until next week. Bye, Bye, y'all. Yeah, I don't know. All these axe murders and stuff. It may be a little daunting to edit, but I won't find myself falling apart. I'd be really hacked off if you did. I know, right? Totally. Uh, yeah. You're a, you're a sharp one, aren't you? <laughs>